All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. It's amazing to see... Because people say, you know, well, uh, if, uh, if, there's, if there's a God, how come we don't, we don't see Him, we don't hear from Him? Um, they say if you, want, if you want to hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud, and you'll hear Him speak. Um, and here, especially, I mean, think about this. We have actual letters that are written by Jesus Himself to us here in the church. Think about that. I mean, how personal is God, you know? And, uh, I mean, now, nowadays we have, well, you know, we have all of the, uh, uh, the means, uh, the, the messenger apps and the means of communication, you know, email, and it, yeah, maybe even that's becoming a little bit of a dinosaur. I guess we still use email, right? But then uh, um, all those different uh, means of communication. But there's something about a, a handwritten letter still, right? Just something from, uh, from the heart of a person. They take the time to put it down and to, to, to send it. And here are letters that were written to, by Jesus from his heart uh, to his church. Because there's nothing that Jesus is invested in like he's invested in the church. He, he, willingly, he willingly went through his life with the whole goal of paying for the means for us having a New Testament church. You know, without the, without the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there would be no purpose for us being here in church here today. And we just had Resurrection Sunday. We talked about it uh, on Resurrection Sunday. That without the resurrection, uh, Christians of all people would be most miserable. Um, now, if you are miserable here today, just think about the fact there's no reason for you to be, Okay? Because we have a living, resurrected Savior. And we have a Savior who writes letters to us. He writes letters to us to be able to read and to benefit from. Uh, I think if someone, uh, you know, if you're, if you're away from someone you love for a while and you receive a letter. Um, you know, back when, when uh, uh, you know, I know I'm starting to sound old here, but back in the day when I was courting my, my now wife, you know, uh, we... we we were only allowed to, I think, talk on the phone once a week. Was that, was that right, what it was? Yeah. I can't remember who laid down that silly law. But anyways, oh, your dad? Okay, well. Uh, um, so now I get to talk to her all the time. So uh, it all worked out pretty good. But, uh, so we were allowed to talk on the phone once a week, but we could write as many letters as we wanted. And I remember my, my, when I'd go to the mailbox, and if uh, my, my wife had her own little personalized a um, little sticker with her, with her address, return address on it. And it was a pig. It was like a little pig a little, uh, with, a, with, with their, her address on it. And so I would go to the mailbox. I knew if I saw that pig sticker on there, yes, I got a letter. And she'd, you know, do all the fancy stuff on the, on the envelope and everything. And, uh, you know, it might even smell nice. I know this is way too much information. But uh, so I'd open that up. I'd be super excited to get a letter from, you know, from someone that I loved. And, and to this day, uh, if my wife writes me a little something, I don't know, that's just extra special to me. 
And so think about Jesus taking the time, because he loves us, because he loves the church, to write letters, to deliver these letters uh, that we can look at and we can see you know, what he thinks ab about us and, and, and what, his, um, what his concerns are. And, and there's a little format to each one of them, because each one of the letters to the churches here, he introduces an aspect of his character that goes along with some of the things he's going to say. So by way of introduction. And then he, he usually encourages them with something that they're, that they're doing well and, uh, and commends them for that. And then he goes on to, to just point out some things there that, that maybe they're struggling with a little bit and some areas in which they can, they can be doing better. And, and then he gives them the solution to be able to get those things on track. Isn't that great that, that God does that? I mean, God doesn't, you know, he doesn't just scold us and just leave us there. God, when he points out something, he's trying to help us. He's given us words of admonition to, to help us and to help us be more successful. And then not only does he tell us what we're doing wrong, but as the, as the Bible is said to do, then he, he, he gives us the solution to that. And, uh, and, and, and so the Bible says, you know, that all, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, but then also for correction and for instruction in righteousness. So what does the Bible do? It opens up, up uh, the, the truth of the matter, the reproof, it gives the evidence of, and then it, it corrects us where we need to be corrected, but then it gives us the instructions that go into that matter in order to, to, to get things right. And, uh, and so that's what these letters do. And then usually at the end of the letter, um, he gives just a, a, a particular blessing that can only come by walking with God. A particular blessing that's only there if, if, we're, if we have that relationship uh, that we can uh, with Jesus Christ. And so they, they are very beautiful letters. And uh, we're looking at, the, at uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. This is Pergamos. This is, I'm calling it, the, the, the church that has been infiltrated. And because Jesus loves the church and the church is his bride, he does not want to see predators, <laughs> of course, come into contact with his bride and, and for them to be, be threatened with that which is going to be destructive to them. And so the church here at Pergamos has been infiltrated. And, uh, and, and so he's, he's, he's helping them with that. And it starts off, as we saw, just by way of review, to the angel uh, uh, the church of Pergamos, write that this message has been delivered. These things saith he which hath a, sh a sharp sword with two edges. And that was, one of, that was part of the description which you saw of Jesus back in chapter 1. So he, uh, this is Jesus, very obviously, by, by means of that description. And, uh, and what this church is going to need here, now we, you know, we cringe a little bit at this, uh, but what is going to be needed, Jesus knows what's needed by, by the churches. He knows. He's in their midst. And he knows what is going to be needed in particular at this church is uh, the sharp sword with two edges. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And uh, we know that, that in that it is discerning and it divides uh, uh, in, in, in asunder that which is perfectly needed as far as that, that, those surgical procedures that are needed to cut out that which is uh, diseased or, or a hindrance and for, for that, 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 that life to go on in vitality, which is uh, meant to, 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 uh, to, to live. And so uh, we see that description there. And then in verse 13, this phrase, which we see numerous times in the letters, it says, I know, then what does it say? Thy works. <laughs> I know thy works. 
And he says, okay, I know what's going on with you. I'm very aware. You know, nothing, I'm not writing because I'm wondering. I'm not, I'm not trying to get information out of you. I'm not interrogating you to, to fi- try to find out where you're going off the rails. You know, this is, I, I know. There's nothing that's hidden from me. And it is amazing that even when God knows what we're like, <laughs> he knows how selfish we are at times. He knows the things that we're harboring in our heart, which maybe no one else can see, that he still cares enough to keep working in our lives. You ever thought about, thought about that? You ever notice that? I mean, long after you would, would probably give up on somebody, the Lord continues to you know, beset us behind and before. He knows our down-sittings and our uprisings. Um, he knows our thoughts are far off. And he just continues to work in our lives. And he continues to work with this church here, which we can see has some pretty major issues. You have issues? <laughs> I know I have issues. Um, and God, God, God continues to work with me through all my issues, all right? And uh, says, I know your works and where thou dwellest. And if you look at the end of verse 11, um, it says where Satan dwelleth. Now that's remarkable there because what it's saying is this is actually at this time, this is where Satan's seat was. I have no reason but to take that quite literally. Satan, he's not omnipresent like God is. He is somewhere. He has headquarters. And at this time, evidently, Pergamos was the headquarters of Satan himself. It'd be a wonderful place to have a local church, right? Well, actually, it would be. You know why? Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And he builds that church. And he shows us that even here with the seat of Satan in this place called Pergamos, um, that, uh, that his work... Uh, would go forth. Now, let's have a word of prayer. We'll look a little closer at these truths. Lord, help us now as we look at your word. Lord, we need you during this time uh, for sure. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so it says there in, uh, in, in verse uh, 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name. And so he's commending them here. Remember the pattern that, that is in the letters? Hey, look, you're, 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 you're staying the course, even in that setting. And you have not denied my faith even amidst the pressures that must have been there in that spiritual battle. And there's an increasing spiritual battle in the United States right now. Uh, sometimes I wonder if the seat of uh, Satan might not be Washington, D.C. at times. You know, I don't know. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, there, there's a, uh, there's, there, wherever we are, there's always a, a remnant of people. And, there, and, and God will he'll work for this to be true, I believe, in His sovereignty. There's, there's a remnant of people who do not deny the faith. And no matter what the current is, is flowing, no matter which way the wind is blowing, we say, you know, we're going to stay uh, true uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even to the point of, as it says there, and even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful, what's it say? Martyr. What's a faithful martyr? A faithful martyr is one that says, you know, I will not deny my faith in God and the Lord Jesus Christ to anybody. He's my first allegiance even unto death, even unto death. And that literally was true here. There had been one in their own midst, Antipas, who had been killed because of his faith. He had paid what we call the ultimate uh, uh, price uh, for that. And uh, we've talked about this before here. You know, people over the ages, I mean, think in, in communist countries and so on, who they go after? Well, they went after the Christians because the Christians were the ones that, that they couldn't control, that would not go along with, with you know, an atheistic, humanistic system, Right? They say, well, you know, we're not going to make the government God. We have 
the God who governs the universe and our allegiance is to him. And we have a way to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And we're not going to deny that no matter what. Well, you just can't control a person like that, right? Because they have an eternal uh, perspective, an eternal destiny to the, to the much frustration of, of, of you know, people who have tried to oppress uh, others and control others um, in, in, a, uh, um, in, in a fashion which is not biblical. And so uh, it, it says here that there was a martyr there, uh, Antipas. And we know that, that, that while well, Satan is said, and it makes sense here, here in, the, in the seat of Satan, what is Satan? His primary attribute is that he's a murderer. All right? Look, when, when Satan starts to pester a person, when he starts to, to get after somebody, you know what his ultimate goal is? To kill them. To kill them. You know that the United States has one of the highest uh, suicide rates in, 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 in the world? And we're supposed to be like the most prosperous nation? Why? Why is that? Because of the spiritual battle. It, just, you know, it, it oppresses people. It takes them into dark places. And uh, you know, the seat of Satan ultimately is a place of deceit where people start to believe lies in their mind and their heart, and they turn to things that are based upon lies, and ultimately that is a road which leads to destruction, leads to death. And, uh, and that's not figurative. That is, that is a literal thing. Well, here, uh, this, this, uh, uh, this uh, murderer uh, takes out a Christian, and, uh, but the Christian wins. The Christian, we know, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So Antipas is okay. Um, he's fine. He's more than okay. It says here in verse 14, though, with all these things being true, it says in verse 14, but I have a few things against thee. And so here Jesus, in writing this letter, he says, well, I have some concerns. There's some problems in your midst that whereas you're doing great in many ways, there's some things that are going to be destructive to you and to the church there if you don't get them right. Now, God always gives a recourse, as long as we're alive and able to hear a message from Him, He gives a recourse for getting uh, things right. And, and, uh, and as if you follow the passage here, it's called repentance. Now, sometimes repentance, you know, it's kind of seen as, a bad, as a, like a dirty word, right? A repentance, and that's like, yeah, that's religious manipulation, you know, trying to get people to repent. Now, repentance, biblical repentance, is when we realize that God has been right and I have been wrong, and I want to change my mind to get my thoughts in the right place. And it's a great recourse that God gives us to get things right. You know, because wouldn't it be frustrating if we just found out, man, we're blowing it in all these areas and I don't have any way to fix it. <laughs> well, God says no matter what, if you can hear this message and you can apply these truths, you can come before me, confess that those things are right and, and, and proper, and turn your mind in the direction uh, which it needs to go. Take your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And uh, so it's a, it's a wonderful uh, way that God has given us uh, for, for deliverance in, in that way. But he says, I, I, first I've got to talk, you know, I've got to give you some bad news here so you can get the good news how you can deal with it. Okay? And that's the way the gospel is, by the way, too. Uh, until someone's willing to, to get the remedy, they've got to see that there's a problem. It's like, you know, we're not going to be going looking for a cure if we don't realize we've got a, we got a disease, right? And, uh, and so uh, he says here, I have a few things against thee. And even though we may not be able to identify with the specific names here, we can, we can identify for sure with the specific issues. So let's go on in, in verse 14. It says, Because thou, uh, uh, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine. Now, doctrine is very important scripturally. Doctrine is dogmatic scriptural truth. 
Doctrine is when God says this is what is true absolutely from the mind of God who made us to us. It is absolute truth, right? And we live in a world of relativity where we make up our own truth. Whatever truth you want to make up for you, well, that's your truth, okay? Well, you can, you know, God will let you go with that, but he won't let you go with that unchallenged. In other words, you have free will that God's given you. You can build your own truth if you want. You know, God gives you the capacity to do that, but it doesn't make it true in the eyes of God, the ultimate truth teller. Okay? And, and, and so doctrine is that which God has given us to establish what is absolutely true. And that's why it's so important that a, that a church be ultra-defensive of sound doctrine that we unapologetically say we want to build upon the sound truth that God has given us and never, by God's grace, compromise from that. The preachers that preach at our church are those who have committed themselves to sound doctrine. We would not want a letter be, to be written to our church that, say, that, that says, you know, you're a safe harbor for false doctrine. We have doctrinal statements that say this is what we believe from God's word and we're not going to waver from this. When we preach, we want to look at the context. We want to look at line by line, precept by precept to say these are the, these are the thoughts of God. Now let's get the sense of them. Let's, let's see how we can apply these together by leading the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so here, they had um, uh, thou holdest, uh, sorry, uh, verse 14, uh, a few things against thee, because thou hast there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication. Now, in, um, in Numbers chapter 22, we see the story of Balaam. We're not going to go there this, this, this morning. But basically, uh, Balaam had the spirit of compromise, and he went with that which was convenient uh, in order to have temporary personal gain. All right. Now, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are all about going that which is convenient for temporary personal gain. Did you hear that? That which is convenient for personal temporary gain. There's a lot of churches like Pergamos that are judging the climate around them and for, for temporary personal convenience are adhering things that aren't, aren't according to the truth of God's word. The spirit of what was going on in Pergamos is going on today, just like it was going on then. And it, it showed itself there in two particular ways, in the form of, 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 of false religion, of man-made religion. And then it says there also, um, and and uh, those that commit fornication, those that commit fornication. And, and so it's the normalization of that which God calls wrong. And it'll chip away because the enemy, when it comes to spiritual battle, will chip away, will chip away, will chip away, will chip away, will continue to take ground. The Bible talks about the enemy taking ground. will take ground just little by little. The devil's very patient. Little by little, take ground, take ground, take ground, take ground. And we'll normalize that which the Bible says is not to be normal. And we'll call okay that which the Bible says is not okay. And it'll happen incrementally to the point where that which people may call a very church is now calling wrong right and right wrong. 
You think about the tragedy of that. What is the, what is the church supposed to be? It's supposed to be the ground and pillar of the truth. <laughs> the world needs one place that's going to tell them the truth. And that's not of arrogance. That's not of pride. That's not to say that we have a corner of the truth ourselves. But God has all the truth and nothing but the truth. And, uh, and we need to stand on that truth. Uh, so help us God, right? And, and so to be witnesses um, of that in the highest court of all and, and before all men. And that wasn't going on uh, in a very consistent fashion uh, there in, in, in Pergamos. And uh, we see, you know, even in our culture, the progressive, you know, just the compromise with, with, with sexual sin. Because sexual sin is really, it's taken that which God has designed as an offering of purity to Him, and it's marring that offering. All right, it's that which belongs to God, and that God has created for good purposes that are glorifying to Him, and it's just another way to rebel against God and to say, no, we're going to be our own gods. We're going to do what we want to do. That's just that's that's the scriptural truth of, of the matter. And the progression usually looks something like this, because the devil, he'll want he'll take something that is wrong scripturally and he'll seek to normalize that. And in the normalization of that, initially, you know, it demands acceptance. Sin will demand acceptance. And then in the progression of it, it won't be, it won't be happy just with acceptance. It will, it will, it will demand um, validation. Now you're not just accepting, you're, you're validating that. And then it'll go from that, and it'll go from validation to normalizing it. And then from normalizing it, it will demand that it be condoned. So now not only are you to say, look, you know, I mean, hey, look, we, we accept, you know, that's what you want to be involved in, and, and you, ha you have to answer to God for that. Um, now we want that, you know, we want to call that uh, normal and fine. And, and then we want to, uh, we want, we want, now we want you to condone it. And if you don't condone it, you're a hateful person. You see, you see how the devil works there? How he, he, he turns the screws on, on a, to try to get people into a corner? And then, you know, not only are you to condone it, but you're to celebrate it. Right? Hold parades. Celebrate it. This is all a wonderful thing. Look, the, 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 the truth and the reality which I, have, which I have made for myself to the exclusion of what God has to say, not only are we going to accept it and normalize it, but we're going to celebrate it now. And, uh, and that's the progression of it. And there's things, you know, that, that, that we, we would think that would, that would never have become celebrated that now are being celebrated in churches across our land. Why? Because within the spirit of Balaam, in, in the name of, um, you know, uh, of, in the name of wanting to be accepting, in the name of wanting to, um, to be maybe even loving, in the name of wanting to rationalize things in a human fashion, we start to normalize and to celebrate that which God says is not right. And... Look, if it, if it just stopped today at, at, at fornication, that would be enough for the church to handle right there because that, that, that is, that's, those are relationships between a man and a woman outside the, the, uh, the design of marriage. Now, that is the least, if I can put it this way, the least of what we're dealing with now in our, in our culture. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I almost, you know, it's like we, we don't even really think about that as much anymore because of the, of the level of depravity which we've, we've reached within people saying 
you know, I'm just, it's all relative. I'm just going to do what's right for me. And nobody has a right to ever say that that is, is wrong. Now, look, hey, people have been given a free will by God to, they have to answer to him and not to me, ultimately, or to you, right? Um, it's, not, it's not about us forcing our beliefs upon anyone, but it is this. We cannot, before God, ever be forced or manipulated into calling something that's right-wrong or wrong-right for the sake of making someone else feel good. All right? Now, look, here's the balance, because the, the, Bible's, the Bible's always so balanced, okay? And, and it says here um, in verse 15, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, did, did, did Jesus hate the Nicolaitans? Is that what it says? No, he hated the doctrine. Okay, do you remember uh, um, when he was talking, let's go back to verse 6 of this passage. When he's talking to the church at Ephesus. You have left my first love. And it says here in verse 6, um, but, this th- uh, uh, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the, what? The deeds of the Nicolaitans. Was he commending Ephesus for hating the Nicolaitans? No. He was commending them for hating the deeds. Why? Because those deeds were destructive, right? And, and look, Jesus, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus is working to bring everybody into a relationship with God through himself. Jesus loves truth, and he loves people, and he wants to see them in the way of truth. And Jesus, I guarantee you, will never be manipulated or guilted into calling something that is not right, right. And as we represent Jesus, look, we never... Because I, I, know, I know now things have, have gotten to the point, like if you, if, you, if you just express what you believe about things, if it's not what the main part of, you know, I guess, whatever, whoever promotes what is said to be politically correct or culturally correct, if it doesn't agree with them, then, then you're said it's, that it's hate speech. Woe be to any Christian that truly has hate speech. Because Jesus never did. Jesus never will. Jesus said, you know, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. When you get tired of doing things according to the cadence of this world and according uh, to your own, uh, your own pleasures and your own way of thinking and your own definition of truth, when you get tired of that, when you're weary and heavy laden with all the places that takes you, come to me, I love you, I will, I, I will give you rest. I will give you the water of life, I will give you the bread of life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come in, I want to fellowship with you. But Jesus hates false doctrine and he hates deeds that he knows are according to false doctrine. You see, the devil, he'll spin things, all right? And if, if, if a church says, 
We are go not going to compromise on any issue that we see as being biblical truth. When that flies in the face of relativism, one of the ways that the devil will, will, will manipulate things is for people to say they're hateful. They're hateful. You call yourself a Christian. You, you are so unloving. You're so judgmental, which I always love because that sounds pretty judgmental. People say that. <laughs> Anyways, um, but you know, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is that there was a church here that Jesus said, hey, I, look, I love you. You're, you're, you're holding, you're, you're allowing things to go on in your church. You're putting the stamp of approval on things that are destructive uh, uh, to you and are not according to, to the truth. And, uh, and, and, and so he mentions false religion there, and he mentions uh, um, 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 uh, sexual idolatry. And then in verse 15, so that uh, thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. It's a little hard to peg down exactly what was going on with the Nicolaitans, but the thing it was that they had uh, deeds. The main thing was that God hates. So as you study God's word, you will see things that God hates. For example, and, 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 and and really, sometimes he describes things. People say, well, all sins are equal. Well, in a sense, they are because sin is a transgression of the law and um, the wage of sin is death. And so all sin does keep us from the holiness of God and condemns us in that sense. But the Bible about certain things says that they're abominations. In other words, they're disgusting to God in his holiness. They are so far out of his design and an affront and a rebellion to his design that he's repulsed by it. <clears throat> Those are deeds that God hates. Not because he ever hates the people. He, his heart goes out to the people. That's why Jesus came and died. <laughs> if it wasn't for things that God hates, Jesus would have never come and stretched out his love to them. Look, as a preacher, uh, I love to sing those songs about how God's you know, love found a way because just as much as anybody in this world, I needed for love to find a way. I was a rebel sinner. I was separated for eternity from a holy God because of my sin. I might have grown up in a Christian home and went to the Christian school here next door and uh, had uh, parents that were missionaries, but none of those things saved me. <laughs> it was only so, uh, the, uh, by grace, through faith, in the merits of the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I would say. And I needed love to find a way to help me with my sin problem, the universal sin problem. And so don't ever say that anybody is hateful that says Jesus loves you and Jesus came to make a way for you. Whoever you are and whatever you're doing, um, whatever you have, have, have defined for being right in your life. We want to get to what God says. A God who loves us, a God who put us here, a God who made us, a God who designed us. Let's see what he has to say about it and let's be in, in right relationship with him. And let's not be a safe harbor in our churches for doctrines which go contrary to God's word. But let's be a place in which anybody can be helped by the love of God uh, and by the love of what Jesus did, which anybody can be helped to, to come to, 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 uh, to a relationship with a God that loves them. And so you see, can you see the balance there? And Christian, I mean, this is going to become, it may become a lot worse before it becomes better in, 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 a, lot of, in, in a lot of these things. And, uh, you know, I'm not being tremendously specific here today, but you, uh, as far as what, you know, the, the Bible has, has given us some general categories here. But study God's Word. Be true to God's Word. 
get sound doctrine, stand upon it unapologetically. And, uh, and, and know that at, at the end of it, let's, let's, just, uh, let's just finish the passage here because this is, this is, a, this is a beautiful thing. Um, look, at, look at verse, uh, by the way, it says in verse 16, repent or else I'll come unto thee quickly, will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So the same, the same sword out of God's mouth, which will ultimately judge all of those who, who uh, um, will not budge in their rebellion against him, may have to come to bear in this church. That's a, that's a pretty remarkable thing. But then he says in verse 17, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. To him that overcometh. Now how do we overcome? According to the, the very book of Revelation, um, we overcome... By the, uh, they, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We're overcomers through Jesus Christ in our, in our, in our uh, belief in Him. But it says here, He that overcome, will I give to eat of the hidden manna? Maybe we'll talk a little more, more about that next week. But look at this. And I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Let me ask you this question. Would you, be, would you be more interested in getting the acceptance of any group of human beings or would you be more interested in getting this sort of acceptance by Jesus? Who would come to you in a personal way and say, you know what, through it all, I sure appreciated the fact that you walked with me. I sure appreciated that you lived for me. I sure appreciate the fact that you were a, well, a good and faithful servant and you did well. And I have this stone for you here. It's a pure, precious stone. And I'm going to give that to you. And on this stone, there's a term of endearment. There's a, a name that I personally have for you. Because you are my faithful servant, this is like a name that, that it's just between you and I that reflects the fact that you loved me, you loved my word, you walked with me, you cherished your relationship with me. I'm just going to give you this stone. Let's just enjoy this moment. And I'm going to let you keep that forever as a representation of my heart for you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You think about all the acceptance we're trying to get from those that ultimately probably don't really even care about us. And the one who loves us most says, look, would you just think about living your life in order to please me? Not to get salvation, but because I've saved you. And would you just look forward to that time just in that, 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 that very personal, tender moment where I would come to you and I would just share with you a name that no one else knows that I have for you because you serve me well. That is going to be a remarkable moment. I don't think I can even fully imagine what that's going to be like. I mean, the Jesus that I've talked about so much, that I've read about, that I've wanted to serve, that I know loves me without reservation, with an eternal love, that very Jesus is going to have such a personal moment with me. Who am I to, I mean, I could never deserve that. But he has made me worthy of it. And by his grace, I will be partaker of that moment. And I'll tell you, when I read things like that, I think, I think I look forward to that more than anything I could look forward to. 
Certainly more than anything on this earth. So look, when the temptation to compromise and to give in and to deny the name of Christ at one level or another comes along, you just think about what it ultimately is, is that you're, where you're looking for ultimate acceptance. And uh, that'll be one little motivator for you. And it's a powerful motivator. It really is. Let's pray.